Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Church. It's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again. I am so thankful for this church and all that you all have been doing over the course of this summer. This has been a summer of giving, uh, and I'm so I'm thankful and impressed. Our, our teenagers have come back from a mission trip where they were caring for uh, folks in need who couldn't tend to their own homes, uh, and so they went out and did some, some work in Colorado for some people in desperate need. We got vacation Bible school this week. There are going to be 100 kids who are blessed by the ministries of this church. There are going to be kids who decide to follow Jesus for the first time this week. Uh, I'm so excited about this week. Remember, we had a blood drive and collected 30 pints of blood a couple weeks ago. Cancer Care started this Wednesday. We've now got a support group for people dealing with cancer or family members of people dealing with cancer. Grief Share starts next month, and our, uh, our Japanese congregation is meeting here every week now. They're very appreciative of you all for giving them space. We started our Anglican church meeting at our Glendora campus last week. They're so thankful to finally be, they've been online for months and months and months. They're finally together again, uh, and so appreciative that you gave them a space. Our Spanish Bible study is attracting over 20 people every Thursday now. It's just been an amazing summer, and what a great summer to be able to say that, because there's so much of the world right now that's still in recovery mode. I mean, there's so much of the world that's like, a, you know, the, the groundhog on Groundhog Day peeking out of the ground to see its shadow. There's so much of us are just barely getting back to routine, and it's so great to see our congregation generously caring for people around us in need. I appreciate you. Thank you for being uh, the church that you are. Uh, hey, we're, um, we're in a series called Know What I Like About Jesus. And what I like about Jesus is that he recharges me. And I want to give you a couple images uh, to start us off here. I want you to, to picture and think about a couple of images. Um, I remember a season of my life where uh, Yolanda and I were dating. And we did our first year of dating life together uh, in the hardest of all possible ways, long distance. She was living in California, and I was living in Princeton, New Jersey, where I was going to seminary. And we met the summer before I left for seminary. So our first year was long distance. And this was back in the day where all the phone carriers would try to lure you in by giving you incentives to leave your current uh, plan and switch over to their company. And so you could get a free month or a free phone or a discount on this and that. And uh, we switched back and forth between phone carriers, I think, 127 times that year. And there are entire phone companies that just went out of business because of my girlfriend and I. Uh, but we'd... Uh, we, we, we do be, spend a lot of time on the phone every single day, uh, and then uh, occasionally we'd get to visit. And so I want you to, to picture, to picture uh, me standing at the end of a jetway, uh, holding up a, a sign uh, that says, I missed you, smoochikins, right? <laughs> she seemed embarrassed, but I think she liked it, right? Do you know that, that feeling at the end of the jetway, waiting for somebody you have anticipated, waiting for somebody that you love? It's, a, it's an expectation that makes your heart full. You know that feeling? Okay, contrast that with... 
the moment that you sit down on the sofa to watch a romantic comedy because someone is making you do it, because you forgot an anniversary, or maybe you just like rom-coms, I don't know, but you're sitting on the couch to watch this romantic comedy, and you turn on the TV, and, you know, a couple hours go by, and it's, you know, maybe it's nice, you watch, uh, you watch uh, Harry Meet Sally, or, you know, you watch Noah read to Allie, or you watch uh, Wesley go try to rescue Buttercup from Humperdinck, right? That last one's actually pretty good. But anyway, you sit and you watch it, you know, and you know, maybe it's amusing or whatever, but in a, you know, a couple hours, the emotion fades and goes away. Okay, contrast those two experiences of romance. Spiritually, a lot of us are doing the latter when we should be doing the former. Because what Jesus wants with us is a relationship of jetway expectation, where you anticipate that he is coming and that the experience that you will have with him is extraordinary. A lot of us are just tuning in for the show and the emotion fades. Jesus wants a passionate relationship with us and not just on Sundays, but every day. That's what I want to look at today. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you call us into relationship with you, and it is not boring, it is not staid or calm, it is not settled and static, it is living and active and passionate. Thank you for calling us to life. Thank you for calling us to love. Set us free to live in this world with a full awareness of the reality of your presence. May we live in the ecstasy of your love and never settle for religion and routine. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I want to read today a, a, a story from the life of Jesus, a, a miracle that Jesus did, and his own interpretation of that miracle and the expectations that we have of him. Uh, know what I like about Jesus? I like that he recharges us, that he calls us into a life of expectation. This is in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, starting at verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, uh, and Jesus never traveled more than about 30 miles, so this is a long trip for him. Uh, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. This is why people were following Jesus. It was not because he was a nice guy. It was not because he was a great teacher. They were fascinated with his miracles and especially his healings. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. It's probably safe to assume that whenever Jesus asks you a question, he already knows the answer. And if he asks you, what are we going to do? It's like a parent asking a child. The question is not asked out of ignorance. The question is a teaching tool. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. 
Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they, had all, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Uh, the twelve baskets is, is probably an intentional uh, uh, reference here. Uh, Israel was... The, the 12 tribes, and Jesus called 12 disciples to say, I'm getting, the, I'm getting the band back together, I'm reuniting the nation. The 12 basketfuls left over is to say there's enough for all the people of Israel. There's, there's enough in abundance for all the people. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. That's a reference to Elijah, a prophet who had lived 900 years before Jesus and was so favored by God that Elijah never died. He was lifted up into heaven at the end of his life. And and the, the prophecy became that before the Messiah came, Elijah would return. And so when they see Jesus working these miracles, they're saying, maybe he's Elijah, maybe he's the prophet, maybe he's that important. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Um, if you've been around here a while, you know I've, I've been fascinated with that verse. They, they came to make him king by force for having multiplied loaves. Uh, that might seem like a gross overreaction. I remember a comedian saying, must have been garlic knots if, it was, if they wanted to make him king for that. Um, the, the, what's going on here is that Rome was known for keeping the people in, un, under control with bread and circuses, one historian said. The Romans used bread and circuses to keep people under control. The circuses were the gladiatorial competitions held in the arenas. They went around building theaters and auditoriums anywhere where they had performance and chariot races and gladiator fights. They kept the people in check with circuses that entertained them. And then Roman guards would walk through the crowds, hurling loaves of bread into the crowd, saying, Caesar provides for you. Caesar provides for you. And so here Jesus is surrounded by a, a theater filled of 5,000 people, 5,000 men. That might not even include the women and children. might even be twice as many. And, and they say, I've seen this behavior before. We know who does this. Caesar does this. So maybe Jesus has come to be our king. Maybe he's Elijah. Maybe he's the next king. Uh, but Jesus will have nothing to do with it. Now skip down to verse 25 and look at how Jesus interprets his own miracle. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Um, now, seal of approval is not really a good translation here. The Greek word is sphragizo. Have fun saying that to one another at home, sphragizo. It's a seal that a king would use to signify that a letter came from him. So he would fold the letter over, pour some hot wax on it, and stamp his, his seal into it, which would enclose the letter and say, this word is from me. 
This is the word of the king. And so this passage doesn't say Jesus had God's seal of approval. It says Jesus was the word of God. God puts his stamp on Jesus and says, this is from me. This is who I am. These are my words. Right? So uh, for, for, on, for on him, for on Jesus, God has placed his sign that this is his word. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Uh, they've just seen the miracles that he's worked. They've come chasing after him, trying to, trying to find him. And they say, now what are you going to do now? What's the next trick? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. This is a reference to the Exodus where God's people were wandering in the desert and they were hungry and God made bread fall from the heaven and they called it manna. And so Jesus has just fed the crowds with bread and, and they're saying, look, we, we know Moses uh, worked these, these, magic, these magic tricks, these miracles where he just made bread fall. You've done it too. What are you going to do next? What's the next sign? Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. That's actually a, an allusion back to a couple chapters before where Jesus encounters a woman at a well. And, she, and he says, if you knew who you were talking to, uh, you would ask and I would give you water uh, that wells up to eternal life. And she says, give me that water. And here in this passage, they say, give us that bread. And they don't get the fact that Jesus is referring to himself. They're saying, feed us something that makes us full. And Jesus says, I am the bread of heaven. I'm, I'm the bread that has fallen just as manna fell in Moses' day. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So our, our Lord gives a brilliant commentary on his own miracle. He distributes bread to the masses. And then he travels away to the other side of the lake. They come looking for him and say, show us another one. Do it again. You fed us before. Moses fed us at one time. Feed us again. What, what's happened is that they've had an experience of tuning into a show that they liked. And maybe it wasn't a rom-com. It was even better than that. It's one of those shows that always ends on a cliffhanger. So you always need to see the next one. You just can't wait to binge watch it. It's the Mandalorian. That's what it is. It's like the Mandalorian. They can't wait to see the next one. But they're only tuning in for the show. And Jesus is trying to, trying to capture them and say, no, 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 I'm calling you to something deeper than that. Don't come after me for bread. Come after me for the bread of life. Let me give you something that lasts. It's standing in front of you. Don't just tune in for the show. Come with jetway expectation for a passionate kind of relationship every day. Um, early in the Christian life, Jesus will take us on our own terms. You and I go to Jesus the first time because we need something. We go in prayer because we've lost a job or because we've broken up with someone or because our kids are in trouble or because we're lonely. And we go to Jesus saying, I just, I just need bread for today. I just need enough for today. I'm missing things. I'm in trouble. I need you now. And Jesus will take us on our own terms. He will take us on those terms. And he really does address those deep needs in our heart. But he calls us to something more. Jesus will take you on your terms. 
but then decide to follow Jesus and let him give you the eternal life, the bread of life that will leave you so that you are, are never hungry. Jesus will take us on whatever terms we come, but he wants to do something more in us. And there are two things that I know that will help lend, lend uh, uh, us to a passionate faith, lean us towards a passionate faith. First, you have to have a rich daily prayer life. You have to have a, a daily prayer life that engages with Jesus in meaningful ways. And it, it's not what most of us do. Uh, because I know what it's like to have a, a static, boring prayer life that just exists as a duty. Um, it's kind of like something that happened um, a couple of weeks ago. I woke up in the morning and I went uh, to get my, my phone. And I, I thought I had plugged it in the night before, but the, the port gods and the wire gods had not aligned that's not Christian. And, and I hadn't quite plugged it in right. I thought I had, but I hadn't. And the battery didn't charge. And I went and picked it up in the morning, and it was at 15%. And I had to start the day. So while I ate breakfast, I plugged it in. And by the time I left the house, it was at 20%. But then I got a phone call, and it dropped to 17%. So when I got to work, I found a cord, and I plugged it in, and it went up to 25%. But then somebody called me on Zoom, and it dropped to 7%. And the whole day long, I was flirting with a dead battery. It was, it was a little red light on the top of my phone all day long. Well, most of us are living spiritually in the red. We live every day with an almost dead battery. And that's not life. That's not the life that Jesus called you to, and that's not the life that Jesus has for you. He doesn't want you living every day almost expired. And the life that Jesus calls us to begins with a rich daily prayer life where we engage with him from the minute we wake up, where we check in with him all day long, where we are attuned to him and listening to him. Jesus wants us to live a life in which the battery is charged all the time. It begins with a, a rich daily prayer life. And secondly... It begins with uh, something that's so important that it made it into the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments do not tell us to pray. The Ten Commandments do not tell us to go to church. The Ten Commandments do not tell us to heal the sick. You know what they tell us to do? Keep the Sabbath. Number four, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. On that day, you don't do any work at all. One day out of seven is to be a day dedicated to God, to worship, and to rest. And you know what Jesus did because he kept the Sabbath? He prayed, went to church, and healed the sick. Dallas Willard, a former uh, philosophy professor uh, at USC. I don't know why I always point over this shoulder when I think of USC. I don't actually know where USC is exactly. So it's going to be over there for the purpose of these sermons. Uh, Dallas uh, Willard, a former philosophy press professor over at USC, uh, said, uh, wrote a lot about Christian theology. And he said, Sabbath keeping is the gateway to all the other spiritual disciplines. Because if you don't keep the Sabbath, you're not going to do any of the other ones. If we don't keep the Sabbath, we won't pray. We won't worship. We won't read the Bible. We won't engage with Jesus. And we'll wake up every Monday morning at 15% and try to live our lives from there. The, the, the built-in spiritual habit of work and rest and work and rest and work and rest is as deep as the letters in your genetic makeup. You are made for that rhythm. So practice the spiritual discipline of Sabbath-keeping. Because Sabbath-keeping leads to a deep prayer life, and a deep prayer life leads to the bread of life. Um, I saw in the life of our church uh, this last uh, week, um, 
part of the fruit, uh, one of the fruits of a, a rich prayer life. Uh, I got together with a couple of friends at our new Glendora campus just to pray over that campus, to spend some time in prayer. Uh, and uh, met there with one of my friends, uh, and um, it was just the two of us when we started praying, and he, uh, he showed me something. Uh, he did something a little prophetic. He pulled a, a, a metal key out of his pocket, one of those old keys with the cool you know, teeth in it, and he says, I, I brought this key along as sort of a symbol of the fact that not just that God has given us keys to a new property, but that God has taken land away from Satan to use the kingdom to spread the gospel further. And that as the kingdom spread, God spreads, God is taking land away from Satan. Uh, and then he put the key back in his pocket. And we prayed together for a while. Uh, and then my friend uh, Casey uh, walked in a few minutes later, and he hadn't heard anything about the key. He just walked in, and we were in the room praying together. And so he walked in and just kind of sat in the back of the room and began praying uh, quietly himself. And then he spoke. Having no knowledge of our former conversation, he spoke and he said, as I pray, I see a key. And I think it is a sign that God is taking land away from Satan as the kingdom spreads. I, I see Satan showing up to let himself in and finding out his key just doesn't work anymore because the locks have been changed. And I know that Casey has a deep personal prayer life. And out of a deep personal prayer life comes a connection with Jesus which is incredible, which is supernatural, and which gives us life. And that's what Jesus wants. Jesus wants us in tune with him all day, every day. At the end of the jetway, waiting for him to arrive. Not just tuning in on Sunday mornings, enjoying it for a little bit, and then letting the emotion pass. If a pandemic taught us nothing else, it taught us that when you live your life at 15%, that when a crisis comes along that's actually going to require more energy, we are going to be woefully unprepared for it. Right now, as, as life sort of starts to get going again for the public, you can tell how much we have lived life at 15%, and this last year just dropped so many of us to zero. And it's a shame because the world needs love and care right now as much as it ever has. Uh, remember when the pandemic began, we as a church uh, launched into all kinds of ministries that we were not doing before. We started the viral blessings challenge. And I challenged you, I said, when you go to the grocery store, and those people are working in the grocery store because they're essential employees and we have to buy groceries, but they are putting themselves on the line. When you're in that line, buy a gift card that they have hanging there in the, the grocery store lines. Put, put whatever amount of money on it God tells you to, and then turn around and give it to the clerk. And tell them, this is for you. God loves you. Thank you for what you're doing. And dozens of you did that. If you, if you hadn't read all the letters of people who did that, it's on our, our website at reallife.la slash blog. You ought to read those if you haven't read those. It's just inspiring to see what you all did. We, we launched into prayer classes and ran prayer classes online on Zoom throughout the pandemic. There was one that 60 people turned into, tuned into. I'd never seen 60 people on a Zoom, Zoom call before. We, in the midst of the pandemic, took in our, our Japanese congregation because they had been uh, put out of the property where they had been worshiping. And we took them in for free so that they could have a place to worship. We dove into giving when the world needed it. But you cannot do that if you're running on 15%. You cannot do that if you are just barely getting by. And the most sure way to, to make sure that you are not running on 15% 15, 15 is to have a 
rich daily prayer life and to keep the Sabbath. The world needs it now as much as it ever has. We can't afford to be on 15%. You know what it, you know what it feels like to be on, on 15% and then try to care for somebody else? It's like when you, it's like when you get married and you're, you're in love and you like being around each other and you stop hanging out with your other friends because it's just the two of you and you have all kinds of time together. And then you have a baby. And ain't nobody got no time for anybody at that point. And then you, at 4 a.m., you're like, you better be the one to get up because I'm not getting up again. You, there's nothing left to give for about six months. Uh, and then just before everybody in the house uh, kills everybody else, you sleep through the night and you're good again. Right? There's, there's a season of running on 15%. But, but it happens at a time where some little person needs you. And it's so hard to give when you're running on empty. The world needs you right now. The world needs vacation Bible school to care for kids and volunteers to staff the vacation Bible school. Hospitals need blood donors. People dealing with cancer need support groups. People grieving loss need support groups. People in Colorado need kids on mission trips to go care for them after a long season of nobody having anything extra to give. The world needs you right now. And right now in, our, in the cultural milieu we're at right now, I think people are more open to receiving care from you than they ever have been. I think right now people are more interested in hearing about Jesus than they ever have been. I think right now you are more likely to get a yes from an invitation to church than you ever would have been before. But it's going to be so hard to care for other people if we run on empty. And so, Jesus wants to recharge us. For those of us who have been exhausted by the last year, who feel like we have nothing left to give. The, the temptation is to run off in the summer and have vacation. Americans do a great job with vacation and weekends, but we have an overdeveloped sense of weekend and an underdeveloped sense of Sabbath. You can come back from vacation and be more tired than when you began. What we need is that daily habit of standing at the end of the jetway, holding up a sign that says, Jesus, I've missed you. Don't call him smoochikins, but you get it. Jesus, I missed you. What we need is that weekly habit of Sabbath keeping where one day out of seven is dedicated to worship and to rest. We need to recharge. So, if you're tired and you need to recharge, if you're hungry and you need the bread of life, Jesus is waiting every day. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you love us. And I thank you that in this exhausting world where crises come out of nowhere, I thank you that we can always recharge in you. And so I pray for those who are exhausted, those who are anxious, those who feel like they have nothing to give. Give them deep, deep prayer lives. Give them restful Sabbaths. Give them times with you that rejuvenate them supernaturally so that they can hear your voice, so that they can know your call, so that they can walk in your footsteps, so that they can have an eye out for that lonely person in need who just, who just wants that one person to step across the line and say hello. Jesus, rejuvenate, rejuvenate us so that we can live the lives of peace that you have for us. 
and so that we can love well in your name. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you again soon. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.